As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the BBM Global Network with 25 years in broadcast audio and video production. Our passionate team creates content and marketing for the world of Internet talk radio. If you've got a passion, come join us at BBMGlobalNetwork.com. The BBM Global Network. Your voice is now heard. This is Nagel and Knowles. Everyone has the right to feel physically and psychologically safe in their workplace. The multidimensional team of Nagel and Knowles will discuss the process for helping organizations with this growing problem that we face in our society today. From a simple lack of respect in the workplace to bullying to extreme violence, Nagel and Knowles will create a more healthy and harmonious atmosphere. So now, please welcome Nagel and Knowles, your workplace violence prevention experts. Welcome, everyone. I'm Richard Knowles of Nagel and Knowles, your workplace violence prevention experts. I'm joined today with one of my partners and my wife, Claire Knowles. And we're coming to you live on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. And our show today is about winning takes leadership. And we're pleased that you're with us to discuss the importance of reducing the risks of workplace violence. We at Nagel and Knowles offer a complete range of skills from site risk assessment, to situational awareness training, to active shooter training, to cultural surveys, to developing stronger HR procedures, to training for legal compliance, to training to eliminate bullying and sexual harassment, to evaluating the leadership approach, and to developing more effective leadership strategies, all to reduce the risks of workplace violence. Our offerings are the gold standards in reducing workplace violence. Today, the audience that will be most benefit from this show are managers and supervisors in all sorts of functions, like manufacturing, safety, engineering, accounting, and HR. This show is for people who have responsibility for other people in their organization. Leaders are the people who set and enforce the standards and expectations for the organization. The culture of the organization determines the level of dysfunctional behaviors and extent of workplace violence. While a lot of people talk about workplace culture, my partner Claire Knowles has lived 
and knows it and can help organizations address their issues. Clary, you've lived in healthy and unhealthy cultures for over 35 years of your industrial experience. You've done a lot of thinking and extensive writing about cultures of organizations and how to impact the people and the businesses. Clary, could you share some of your thoughts about organizational culture and its influence on workplace violence? I would be glad to, Richard. As you know, this is a subject that is near and dear to my heart. I have suffered through rotten cultures and I've thrived in healthy ones. The culture of an organization is an emergent property. It can't be imposed by some flashy consultant. It emerges and it grows out of the organization in the way that people are treated and that they work together. Some factors are, for example, how do people interact with each other? How are people communicated with or talked to or talked at? Or how are they when they talk with each other? What's the strength of their connections? Another thing to look at is how do they feel about their work and their peers and their supervisors? How are they able to do their work and to balance between getting directions and having autonomy? Are they micromanaged? How do they solve problems together and how do they learn together? How often do they get feedback? Do they have all the information that they need and are they able to get the information that they need? Are they attuned to continuous improvement? Can they look beyond the task in front of them? And how are they led? This is what culture is about. And culture changes readily along a continuum that ranges from healthy and respectful to unhealthy and disrespectful, depending on the conditions. And of course, the goal is to stay within the healthy, respectful part of the scale by being mindful of respective behaviors, communications and interactions. Trust is an integral part of culture and it increases as people become more mindful of the positive behaviors and personal interactions. And this begins with treating each other with respect, sharing information abundantly and helping to see how each person's work is important to the success of the whole organization. It is the responsibility of the leaders to keep their organizations from becoming incubators of workplace violence because a toxic workplace is one where dysfunctional behaviors and drama reign. Whether it's the result of long-term disorder and chaos, whether it's a narcissistic boss, vindictive co-workers, the absence of good work systems, incompetence, or other problems. You know, most people understand the signs of a toxic workplace because in a toxic workplace, dysfunctional attitudes and emotions are there. They permeate the atmosphere. People are mistreated. I'm going to say that again. People are mistreated. In these ways, the people see and experience bullying. They see and may experience sexual harassment. They're talked down to. Bullies are tolerated and even supported, and some of the bullies are the managers. Some people are scapegoated. Mistakes are blamed on the people, and management takes no responsibility for their own failures. Meetings are ineffective, with loudmouths always dominating. There's little learning since everyone is pulled into their shells to protect themselves, and there's obvious hypocrisy. And this sort of a culture just wears people out. And there is unnecessary stress. So people get burned out. They hate going to work. They feel overloaded. Favoritism is rampant. Absenteeism and turnover are high. 
Gossip is everywhere. No one can stay focused on their work. In this type of environment, no one learns. People retreat into themselves for their own safety and they start to CYA, and we all know what that is. It's not safe for anyone to speak up with a question or a new idea. Management and HR are nowhere to be seen to help out or to stop the bullying and the harassment. You know, we do not have to live and work this way. This is highly destructive to the people and to the business. And leadership is the key to creating a healthy, supportive, productive workplace where it is safe to ask questions, to offer potential solutions to problems, and to take the initiative to helping to solve problems, to learn and to grow together. The leadership work that Richard is doing is so important for helping organizations to develop healthy, productive cultures that are free of workplace violence and that are psychologically safe. You see, psychological safety comes when there is openness and people get clear guidance and feedback, and it's where no question is off limits. So today, we're going to hear about partner-centered leadership. This is really good, Claire. I can completely agree with all that you've talked about. When I was the manager in Niagara Falls and in the Bell West Virginia plants, I took the leadership challenges seriously and did a lot of work to help to change the culture towards the positive. You can't do this work using email or video training or other electronic means and tools. Changing the culture involves one-on-one contact, many conversations, and lots of listening and learning together. I spent a lot of time out of my office and in the plants watching, listening, learning, and modeling the behavior that we needed and to which we had to shift. This takes patience and courage. I was talking to a manager of another big chemical plant, telling them about walking around among the people, listening and learning together. He said, that's really dangerous and unusual. If someone's upset, they could attack me or ask me questions that I can't answer. It sounded to him to be too risky and a waste of time. He had much more comfortable staying in his office. He felt that was the place to be. Participating in the organization and moving out is critical for all of us to begin to get better and better and better. We have to talk together. This is a way in which we engage one another and we and we don't back away from talking about things which sometimes may even be difficult. This is not a spectator sport. Together we can make a huge difference and talking together with the people is the key. We're coming up to a break. After the break, I'll talk about the things that leaders can do to build a healthier, more profitable workplace. You're listening to us live on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Please stay tuned. If you seek a courageous advocate, prepare to champion your rights with consumer service agencies that support aging populations. Carol Ann Hamilton is the one for you. Carol Ann is an elder care coach, author, and speaker with a quarter million hours lived experience successfully supporting unculpable aging parents. As a result of a challenging journey, Carol Ann revolutionizes how stressed out caregivers restore serenity to their worlds. She also brings over 25 years of change management expertise in Fortune 500 settings to catalyze urgent transformation within the elder care industry. Carol Ann is a popular speaker at conferences across North America. 
She has appeared via TV, radio, and print globally. Now you can tune in weekly to get a dose of her inspiration, plus down-to-earth advice to cope with even the most difficult aging parents. Listen Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Patricia Fayweather Harlow is passionate about the environment and conserving our natural resources. She's written a five-part book series for all ages called Rock with Rodney and Party with Perky to Preserve Wildlife, which brings awareness through these vibrant characters on preserving and protecting our national parks and historic landmarks. Harlow has launched a campaign to mobilize green supporters, informing a united front against big oil, big coal, and the Keystone XL pipeline. And she addresses the controversial practice of fracking in books four and five. She's determined to bring greater awareness to the dangers of drilling and running crude oil through pipelines that cut through pristine landscapes. And she empowers readers to take action in keeping America beautiful. To learn more about Patricia Fayweather Harlow and to purchase her books, visit www.patricia-fayweather-harlow.com. That's F-A-Y-E-R-W-E-A-T-H-E-R. And play your part in preserving the landscape that we all share and love. Welcome back, everyone. This is Richard and Claire Knowles of Nagel and Knowles, your workplace violence prevention experts. You're listening to us live on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Before the break, I was talking about the need for managers to get out of their offices and engage every day with the people, shifting the leadership mindset and throwing off the wet blanket of the traditional top-down management approach. We opened up the organization, letting the fresh air and light into our organizations by using the partner-centered leadership approach. Partner-centered leadership is a process of how we choose to engage with each other to build stronger, healthier, more sustainable businesses. The key is opening up the organization so questions can be asked safely by anyone to anyone and new ideas can be shared while simultaneously maintaining order and focus. The leaders must be very clear about the mission and vision for the business and build on shared values, abundantly sharing information with the people about all aspects of the work. We need to talk consistently with these things every day. It's not a checklist activity. Change happens one conversation at a time. When we need to ask the people to help us to come together to achieve our goals, this has to be authentic and done with respect. When we ask the people to come together and help to co-create our shared future, resistance to change virtually disappears. People do not resist the changes they help to create. Leadership processes are what bind us together and can shift the culture to a more positive level. To illustrate this, consider the penny metaphor. When you look at a penny, you'll see the Lincoln Memorial on one side and Lincoln's face on the other. Well, the Lincoln Memorial side can represent all the physical side of the business and the security, safety, and situational awareness and active shooter training that our partner Robin Nagel of Nagel and Knowles provides. But the side with Lincoln's face can represent all the people side of the business and the HR offerings. And that's what I do of Nagel and Knowles. That's what we can provide. The copper in that penny holds everything together and represents the leadership work which we offered. Our focus today is on the importance of partner-centered leadership in setting a culture free of workplace violence. I developed partner-centered leadership through 30 years of practice, hands-on experience, consulting in many cultures around the world, in conferences, reading, studying, and writing about all that I'd learned. The leadership process is about change, the importance of personal focused conversations, 
the respectful treatment of each other, creating the culture where it's safe for people to speak up, to ask questions, and to share new ideas. This is a leadership process where all together can co-create our shared future. Shifting the culture is about the change. Where information is freely shared, people are treated with respect, and everyone knows how their work helps the whole organization to be successful and to become a a workplace free of violence. This is a culture where it's safe to have open, honest conversations about the important aspects of the work. I heard from my management training and had to shift away from the early training that I got. And I'd heard the culture changing is very hard work and it takes a lot of time. But then I saw an event that completely changed my thinking. The fastest culture change I've seen occurred when I was the plant manager at the Bell West Virginia plant. When I first arrived at this large chemical plant, there was a lot of dysfunctional behavior going on. There was bullying by managers and others, and it was blocking our opportunity for progress. There was a lot of gossip, lying, and misleading information going around. People were angry and frustrated with management, who were confused and unable to lead effectively. There was a big lack of respect. In my first year, we had begun to make some progress in improving our culture as I as I walked around and talked with people and listened and learned together. I was modeling the behavior that we needed to become to be the best we could be. Then one day we had a fire in one of our units. We had a well-trained fire brigade who professionally responded and put the fire out quickly without anyone getting hurt. But the building was a mess with soot everywhere, burned instrument and electrical cables hanging down from the ceiling, warped piping in many places, and other equipment was bent and damaged. We were flat out of our ability to make and ship our product, and we only had four weeks' supply for our customers. Change happened almost instantly. Within a couple of minutes, we all became a high-performance work team. Everyone saw the problem and the need to get back into production as quickly as possible. There was so much going on that I, as the plant manager, and the others in higher supervision just did not know what was happening in any sort of detail. All the wasteful, dysfunctional behavior just disappeared. People at all levels shared information about the work. They helped each other. Operators and craft people crossed their craft lines and worked with engineers and supported each other. Working together, they made important decisions about the work that was needed to be done. And they just plowed into the tasks. It was an awesome thing to see unfolding. Within three weeks, they had things restored sufficiently to begin our production and supply our customers. Our sales did not miss a beat. During the crisis and the three weeks of work to restore our production capability, the people worked like beavers, made excellent decisions, and did really good work together. For months afterwards, they talked about how well everyone had worked and felt great satisfaction about all they'd accomplished and done together. But after we got back into production, just within three or four weeks, the behaviors of many of the people drifted back to the bullying, lying, and cover-ups that I was gradually smoking out. My walking the plant for five hours a day for five years made a big difference. I kept at the walking around, watching, listening, talking with people, and learning together. It took some time, but as we all learned, the speed of change increased and strengthened. We all got to know each other and trust built. In reflecting about the fire and the changes I saw, I learned that people need to see for themselves what the situation really is and why we needed to change. It was clear that everyone could see the fire and smoke. It was also clear that we needed to work towards a common purpose of getting back into production as fast as we could. No one had all the answers. Everyone worked safely and with focus. They could see what was needed and they moved forward to do what we needed to do to restore production. 
Everyone was valued and contributed. All developed a strong sense of satisfaction in the various ways we each contributed to restoring the business. This incident pointed the way for me to developing partner-centered leadership. I'll talk more about this later in the show, but before I do that, I wanted to share some stories after the break that will illustrate just why we need partner-centered leadership. Partner-centered leadership is the key, like the copper and the penny, that holds everything together. We have to work with each other. We have to listen to each other. We have to learn together, respect each other, help each other, and go forward looking for the best way to lead. It's important that I share this with you right now, and you can learn a lot about partner-centered leadership because it is a whole chapter in our free booklet, Guide to Reducing the Risk of Workplace Violence. And it and it is available to you simply by going to our website, nagelnolesandassociates.com. Scroll down to the comment box and put in a valid post office address where we can send you a copy of Guide to Reducing the Risk of Workplace Violence, free of charge, and we'll pick up the postage. And again, if you want to learn about partner-centered leadership, there's a whole chapter in there. So we're on a break now, just coming up to it, and uh, we'll be back on the other side with more. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Did you know that your beliefs create your entire reality, but it's the subconscious beliefs that do most of the creating? Belief Shifter and Life Coach Shiraz can help you identify those limiting beliefs and eliminate them, often in a single session. Like it was almost instant, like I had relief right away. Creating better health, relationships, careers, and finances. Let Shiraz help you step out of safety and into awareness. Definitely something's happening. Uh, it's like a, a flow inside, you know, it feels good. Whether in person or online, Shiraz provides personal coaching, belief shifting. Visit Shiraz at energeticmagic.com or call 416-529-7429. Energetic Magic on the BBM Global Network, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Find your greater happiness. Be well, be aware, be magical. Are you stressed? Is your stress driving you crazy? Do you know there are many ways to relieve the stress? The Spirit Within Massage and Hypnosis Clinic does just that. Reduce your stress plus so much more. Established in 1997, the Spirit Within Massage and Hypnosis Clinic offers an approach to wellness for those individuals who choose to either utilize appropriate complementary methods to enhance their current medical care or to those individuals who are on their personal journey toward improved health and wellness through the use of therapeutic bodywork, Reiki Energy Healing, or Hypnosis. The Spirit Within Massage and Hypnosis Clinic is owned by Dr. Judy Dean, a registered nurse and board-certified massage therapist and medical hypnotherapist in LaPorte, Indiana. Visit www.spiritwithinmassage-hypnosis.com to see all services offered by Dr. Judy. For a free personal consultation, please call Dr. Judy Dean at 219-326-1380. The Spirit Within Massage and Hypnosis Clinic 209-326-1380. Welcome back, everyone. This is Claire and Richard Knowles of Nagel Knowles & Associates, your workplace violence prevention experts. And we're coming to you live this morning on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Richard, before the break, you were talking about how much you had learned about leadership from your observations of the fire that that happened at the Bell West Virginia plant when you were the manager there. 
by thinking about all that was going on as the people responded to that fire, and then you were able to restore production, you were able to clearly see the critical steps in the actual process. The people in this story were professional in their work, and they brought their skills to bear on the situation. This was not a situation where people just winged it and hoped for success. No, everyone at all levels of the organization applied their skills to the challenge at hand. They had to share information, they worked together with respect, and they collectively did a terrific job. And no one group tried to pull the decision-making to themselves or exclude the others. Everyone worked together and made this recovery possible. Now, you said that this experience led you into developing partner-centered leadership. Could you tell us some more about this highly effective way of leading? I sure can. But before I do that, I want to share several stories to illustrate the problems that happen when all the tasks are not shared and upper management pulls decision-making up to their level, away from the people doing the actual work. These are often situations where the pressures are high to get the job done quickly. The culture is such that if it's not safe for people to close to the work to raise concerns, ask questions, or to actually stop the work if they feel it's not safe. There is often a lot of dysfunctional behavior like bullying in these organizations. In this sort of culture, things tend to fall apart and people pull back and poor decisions are made and imposed from the top of the organization. In industries like aviation, oil production, and chemical manufacturing, mistakes can lead to huge problems. Most of the time, these industries run really safely, but occasionally they experience a disaster. These are called low-frequency, high-consequence events. They do not happen very often, but when they do, a lot of people can get hurt or killed. However, in these industries, it's easy for the people at the top to get complacent, make poor decisions about allocating technical people and money as they cut corners to improve earnings and market share. Then a disaster happens. For example, the workers on the Deepwater Horizon drilling platform <clears throat> received good safety recognition for outstanding occupational safety performance. This is the kind of performance OSHA pays attention to, the slips and trips and falls and that sort of thing. This, OSHA has a strong focus on this. And while this part of safety is important, it's only one part of the organization's total safety efforts. Another part is process safety management. This award was presented to the people just a day or two before the explosion on April 20th, 2010, that killed 11 people and injured 17 others. This resulted from a failure in their process safety management efforts. The pressures from top management to stop all delays and to get into production led to failures of their process safety management systems and processes. Communications were limited because management did not want to hear more problems. They were driving the production schedule. The fine occupational safety performance masked the process safety deficiencies, which are more subtle and invisible to upper managers. Unless the upper managers are keenly aware of the needs for excellent process safety management and get out of their offices and into the field looking, listening, and talking with the people and learning what's really going on. The gap between process safety management as imagined in the top offices and the process safety management as done on the platform was huge. These pressures for production began to overwhelm the safety systems. Red flags needed to be raised. The culture needs to be aware, one where people can bring up problems and challenge the pressures without sacrificing their careers. Another example occurred at the DuPont Bell West Virginia plant, now Camores, where I was the plant manager. 
I used a partner-centered leadership approach when I was there. I spent five hours a day in the plant looking, listening, talking with the people, and helping to build higher standards and performance. Along with each of our improvements, our occupational safety and health injury rates dropped to world-class levels. They went down by 97%. And our emissions to air, water, and land went down by 95%. These emissions are a measure of our process safety management performance. When I was transferred, the people close to the actual work continued to self-manage themselves using all the things we'd learned about partner-centered leadership. And their injury rates stayed to be very, very low for more than 12 years. However, the new managers who came in after me used traditional top-down approach and pulled lots of the process safety management decision-making up to themselves. The injury rates were so good, they felt the people close to the work were doing a great job. But those managing the process safety management started to cut corners by limiting funds, cutting back on engineering support, letting inspection time slip. While the injury rates were great, the process safety management was slowly rotting away and things fell apart. They eventually had a series of disasters and an operator was killed. The managers hardly got out of their offices. They lost contact with the people, let the standards slip, and trust fell apart, with the result that the gap between the work as imagined by those in the top management and the work as done by those in the field was very, very wide. This sounds a lot like the Deepwater Horizon problem. Now we have another example with the mess at Boeing with the 737 MAX crashes. Top management was feeling the pressures for market share from Airbus and putting terrific pressures on cost reduction and faster production. According to an April 2019 New York Times story, the people were forced to take shortcuts and about a dozen whistleblower claims and safety complaints on things like defective manufacturing, quality problems, and debris left on the airplanes was ignored. The training of pilots was shortened or eliminated in the flight simulators. The cost-cutting, corner-cutting problems went from the top of the organization all the way down. Now, after two crashes, 346 people are dead. There's a lot left of this story as it unfolds. Again, the pattern is like the first two stories. In these high-consequence industries, the top management needs to have a discipline of raising red flags when they're feeling the pressures to hurry up, cut costs, and produce more. These pressures shut down and destroy communications, quality, and safety standards. The culture is not safe for people to speak up, ask questions, and push back when they see safety problems. In these cultures, there's little respect and a lot of bullying. Leading takes discipline and courage, but that's the nature of the business. Leading businesses where there are high consequences and low-frequency events requires focus, skill, leading, and using the leadership approach. When the system fails, it's not the people at the top who get killed. We are soon coming up to a break, and after the break, we're going to talk more about partner-centered leadership. You are listening to Nagel and Knowles, your workplace violence prevention experts, live on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Please stay tuned. We will be right back. Hi, my name is Myra Fox, and I am a survivor. I am the founder of the Castle Lewis I Survived Foundation and the author of a series of books entitled I Survived a Murder Untold, which tells the story of my sister and I who were abandoned and left in the care of a woman who beat us repeatedly. Unfortunately, it resulted in the death of my sister, Castle Lewis, which is revealed in a page-to-page chilling story. After spending time in the foster care system, I've documented my suffering and my loss and ultimately my survival. I'm blessed to work daily in my community and surrounding areas to give back 
by helping others and feeding the homeless. I want to spread awareness of the dangers of abuse. You can purchase my books and contribute to the Castle Lewis I Survive Foundation by visiting www.castlelewis.com or you can call us at 540-999-8401. Thank you. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it. Welcome back, everyone. This is Claire and Richard Knowles of Nagel Knowles & Associates, your workplace violence prevention experts. We're coming to you live this morning on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Before the break, Richard was talking about several big disasters and the insights that he gained from having studied them. He said that those studies, as well as his own experience, led him to developing partner-centered leadership. Could you share some more about that, Richard? During this work at the plant and the years since, I've been consulting and working with many organizations, and I've discovered just how important and fundamental the ongoing conversations really are for the success of the whole and in keeping the organization together and focused. My old thinking really changed. I came to realize that organizations behave as if they're living systems. I see organizations as complex, adapting, self-organizing networks of people. The ongoing conversations are the links that hold the network together and strengthen it. Change happens one conversation at a time. I have pulled this all together into the dynamical organizations theory, openness, synthesis, and emergence. In the openness of sharing new ideas and thinking, develops, we all, the people begin to develop in, throughout the organization and talk together, new ideas begin to come together. People begin to synthesize new strategies and potentialities, and solutions begin to emerge. In this process, we are co-creating our shared future. This sounds quite good, Richard, but what does this look like and how do you maintain the focus? With all the conversations, don't people begin to go all over the place and get scattered? Now, people will come up with all sorts of ideas, and they want that, and they want to follow up, have them followed up. But how do you keep the focus and the operating discipline in order to keep the organization together and to keep the business growing forward? We keep the focus and operating discipline by talking about what we are doing. We talk together about people issues as well as business issues. We talk about why we are doing the things we're doing. We talk together about the business, our injury reduction performance, our environmental performance, the customers and the competition. We also talked about their families and how are they doing? Is everybody well? How's school going? If we discover a need for support, we help look to look for ways to help the people. 
as we talked about the business and the strategies, differences of opinion surfaced about how to go about achieving these goals. We talked about these a lot, and sometimes things got quite heated. But there were no personal attacks, and we treated each other with respect. Sometimes as I walked around, we would get into these tough conversations. I would explain my thinking and listening for their ideas. Now and then I'd change my own opinion, and I had learned things with them. When I made mistakes, I'd apologize and try to get better. I would often ask for their help as I was learning to change. We all learned to help each other. And as people began to make decisions about their own areas of work, I would support them, even though sometimes we made mistakes, but they were always little mistakes. We learned from all these mistakes and got better. Always the focus was both the people and the business. During these conversations, we all discovered deeper meaning in our work and what we all could contribute to improve the success of our businesses. Thank you, Richard. Were there any special tools that you used that helped in this transformation to partner-centered leadership? Yes. As I mentioned earlier, organizations are complex, adapting, self-organizing networks of people. I developed several tools to help us to live in our complex world. One tool is the Process Enneagram, which is a tool to help us to work on important, complex problems and challenges together. Anything that has a number of relatively independent, interacting parts is a complex system. There's a lot of scientific literature on this theory of complex systems. The Process Enneagram is the bridge between the theories and the practical application. In using this tool, a cross-section of people come together to talk about the particular issue. This is a disciplined and focused process which always leads to solutions, providing the people are willing to talk, listen, and share. I've written a best-selling book called The Leadership Dance, which is available on our website, as well as from Amazon. Another tool is the bowl. The bowl is a metaphorical container that holds the organization together. It's developed as people work through the process Enneagram together. The bowl is our mission, vision, standards of behavior, and standards of performance. These are also things that I talked about as I wandered the plant. When people know and understand the bowl, they can operate with a lot of freedom to make the decisions they need to make to do their own work more effectively. This closes the gap between work as imagined and work as done. The third tool I developed relates to using a qualitative leading indicator that helps us to improve the quality of the decisions we are making so that we will be better and more sustainable. I call this tool the sustainability ratios. There are six of these ratios, and I'll use just one here for illustration. As we're considering a decision, we ask ourselves, will this decision make us more flexible or less flexible? Normally, being more flexible is better for the long run. We consider all six of the ratios this way in our decision-making processes, and we use these over a number of years, and they provide a very valuable in keeping us moving in the upward performance track. You can learn more about them in my book, The Leadership Dance. As Richard and I have worked around the world, we have found that most people want to be treated with respect. Richard has talked about this earlier, and it's so important to partner-centered leadership. They want to be listened to. They know that their ideas and thoughts may not work, and they expect this. However, they want to be heard and have their ideas considered. They want to be accepted and be part of the group to belong. Being a part of something important is a big motivator for people. And people want to be treated fairly. And this means that they need to know what's going on around them, why things are happening like they do, and what it means to them. This is about the relationships between and among themselves and the leaders. 
when leaders care and have the courage to address situations, well, then the people know that they care. People want to be part of the conversations about things that affect them. They want to be part of the decision-making. The more opportunity for people to talk about their work, listen, and learn together, the better their decisions will be. And when they understand the bowl or that container, their decisions will be usually very good. Most people want to be winners and be part of a winning team. They want to be supported by and to support each other. Becoming their brothers and sisters keepers is important so they protect each other's backs. We have found these characteristics across all the cultures in which we have worked. New Zealand, the United States, Australia, Canada, China, Malaysia, Italy, and other places. As we have worked with partner-centered leadership, we have come to realize that these conversations need to be deep and sincere. They need to be going on every day. Just checking off that you talk with a few people does not cut it. This is a way of life. It is a new mindset. Now, we are soon going to be coming up to a break, and you're listening to Claire and Richard Knowles of Nagel and Knowles, your workplace violence reduction experts. You're listening to us on BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. When we come back, we've got a lot more to talk about on partner-centered leadership. Stay tuned. For over 50 years, Evelyn Stapula has been a loving advocate for people with disabilities throughout the state of Pennsylvania. President and founder of Big Heart Bridges, her organization actively campaigns for legislation and support of civil liberties that meet the needs of disabled individuals with housing, transportation, and employment. Ms. Stapula has joined forces with a variety of esteemed organizations that advocate for the disabled. She serves on the board of the United Cerebral Palsy of Pittsburgh and the Governor's Cabinet and Advisory Committee for People with disabilities, and she is a consultant for the Pennsylvania Governor's Conference for Women. Her many efforts have led to the implementation of a transportation program for the disabled with the Access Paratransit System of Allegheny County. Evelyn Stapoulis drives daily to serve the interests of the disabled, to protect their freedoms, and enable them to live normal public lifestyles. To learn more, please call 412-491-2605 or email Evelyn at ers92645 at verizon.net. Certified professional coach Pamela Reeves can help you with your relationships. Motivational and image coaching are just some of the ways she can help you enhance all aspects of your life. Her book, Is It Love or Merely a Sick Attachment?, helps readers clearly distinguish healthy, loving relationships from toxic ones. Ms. Reeves has put her words into action through Ray of Hope Kenya, an international initiative that provides outreach to victims of abusive relationships there with the goal of helping them rebuild their lives and the tools to avoid abuse. Ms. Reeves operates various business interests through her umbrella network, Nella LLC, and credits her success to her diverse work experience. Whatever your goals, whether striking a balance, reinventing your image, or simply lifting your lifestyle, Pamela Reeves will help you achieve them. Your life, your call. Dial 410-902-5715 or email Pamela at pamreg one at verizon.net. She's also on the web at pamreeves.com and on Twitter at Pamela underscore Reeves. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening live to the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. You're listening to Claire and Richard Knowles this morning of Nagel Knowles and Associates.com, your workplace violence prevention experts. Richard, you've been talking about why partner-centered leadership works and why people like to work this way. 
Could you share some more information, maybe a few stories that will help people to get a better feel for this way of leading? Partner-centered leadership works because we use the right thinking, principle-centered, honest, and ethical. We have the right focus, the people and the business. We use the right complexity tools, the process enneagram, the bowl, and the sustainability ratios. We use the right processes by fully engaging with the people, listening, talking, learning, and moving into action together. We're focused on the right reasons, developing healthier, safer workplaces, working more effectively together, and building more successful, sustainable businesses. We work on the right purpose of having the people and the businesses become the best they can be. My leadership team and I spent a lot of time getting clear on our mission, vision, and purpose so we could talk with the people with consistent messages. I personally walked the plant for five hours a day for five years. It was a big plant with about 1,300 people and dimensions of about one mile by one-third mile, so I had plenty of places to roam. I talked with different people at different levels all day long. In walking around and talking with the people, I'm not suggesting that we have to talk to everybody every day as we talk with people. The word gets around. One way I used to get the word out was in my weekly business meetings. I held two one-hour meetings on Wednesday mornings in different shops, production areas, or offices. I talked about the safety and environmental performance, as well as our business situations for about 10 minutes. Then I opened up the meeting to questions. Every question was okay, and every question was answered. If I did not know the answer, I promised I would get, find out the answer and get back to them, and I always did. My secretary took notes on the meetings, and we published the notes to the whole plant within about 36 hours, so everyone knew what was going on. Interacting with the people is not a spectator sport, and sometimes things got pretty intense. But I stayed in the heat, and things kept getting better and better. I talked so much that I had to be careful to tell the truth as best I could. If conditions changed and what I had said no longer applied, I had to go to the people and tell them what had changed and why. This way, I kept my integrity whole. You can't play with the truth in partner-centered leadership. So how did the bowl or the container, as we talk about, help you, excuse me, help you in all of these interactions. Once people understood the bowl, did they stay within it as they made their decisions? The bowl was very important to all of us. No one knew all that was going on in the plant. We covered a lot of geography and we worked 24-7. I learned that as people worked within the bowl, I did not have to know everything that was going on. As long as everyone stayed within the bowl, we were okay. Learning to live with this ambiguity was not easy for me. The more effective and confident the people became, the better the decision-making became. And people did extraordinary things. For example, one day I was talking to Becky Dixon, a shift worker, and she was telling me that she'd come in that day to start her shift at 6 a.m. and had been listening to a talk show. And these guys were talking about the pollution from our plant. Becky knew that it was water vapor because she was on our site environmental teams. And so the next part of the conversation was Becky saying, well, I've called them up and they're coming to the plant for three hours on Monday and I want you to spend an hour with them and talk about these things and I'll take care of the other two hours. And it was one of the best visits we ever had and my public affairs was being run by a shift work and I, the manager, was doing what she told me to do. Another situation was one where we had, had some very severe electrical storms. And electrical storms are problems for chemical plants because they can cause fires or upsets. I came in to start the day at 6 a.m. and was talking to the shift supervisor, Donnie. 
He said, we've had a lot of bad storms overnight, and I shut the plant down. We're going to have more today, so I'm going to keep it down. This was a big, bold decision. This was about a quarter of a million dollar decision that Donnie made on his own. But I supported him. He was in the bowl, and he did the right things. Those are both great stories, Richard. This work is real, and the results come directly from the people involved. These are, and along with many others, stories that illustrate the exciting things that people did as you all learned to work together using partner-centered leadership. These were very impressive. Can you share some more examples of how people learned and grew, becoming more and more effective as you all worked together? Sure. Here are a few more stories. One of the early ones was that happened while we were having our central safety. Safety was important. We had about 50 people in our committee, and once a month we would meet. And different subcommittees would report. And one day, Steve, who was an insulator and in charge of the asbestos committee, began his report by saying he called up the EPA to talk to them about what was going on and see what we needed to be doing better. This is people that could put me in jail, and here Steve on his own is calling them up and talking to them. But I realized pretty quickly that Steve knew more about asbestos than I did, and the people never called back, so we were okay. Another time I was walking the plant, and Eddie was out there, a mechanic, looking after a group of about five or six contractors. And on his own, he kicked them off the plant because they were not following safety procedures. This took a lot of courage for him to do it, but he did it on his own. We had another series of problems where people would deliver commodities to us in tank trucks like methyl alcohol. Our folks would unload the trucks and push them out on the back lot and let them sit. While they were sitting out there, we had to pay the vendors rent while the trucks sat there. And it was costing us about $800,000 a year. I would fuss about all the costs, but nobody paid any attention until we had taken first-line supervisors off a shift, and then the people began to move the trucks. And I called up the shift supervisor. I said, Donnie, what's going on? He said, the guys decided to move the trucks. On their own, they decided to move the trucks, and they cut the cost from $800,000 a year to a $100,000 rate in about six months. Another thing I did was to go where people actually did their work. So I walked the coal conveyor one day to see what that was like. And I climbed to the top of the distillation columns, although I'm afraid of heights, because I needed to know what the people experienced when they had to do that kind of work. We had to go where the people are. These are stories of personally engaging with each other. I had to be persistent. I had to show caring. And I had to show I was concerned for the people, the business and the plant. And I had to show that I was committed to keeping my word and doing what I promised. Extraordinary change happened. Those, again, are great stories, Richard, to illustrate all this. We're going to be coming up on a break very soon. But before we do, I just want to mention again our Guide to Reducing the Risk of Workplace Violence, a booklet that's available to you simply by going to nagelnolesandassociates.com, scroll down to the comment box, and give us your post office box where we can send you a free copy of the book booklet. We will... We will certainly pick up the postage. We look forward to hearing from you. Again, we are Richard and Claire Knowles of Nagel and Knowles, your workplace violence reduction experts. All this that we are sharing today is about leadership and how the organizations change and people treat each other with respect and dysfunctional behaviors disappear. So we're coming up on a break. We'll be, we're with you on BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
tune into It's All About You with host Dr. Martha Latz, a lively weekly broadcast on BBM Global Network, one of the most empowering shows for time-starved, overscheduled multitaskers. The professional expertise of Dr. Latz is directly available live every Thursday at 1 p.m. to answer and address concerns about relationships, life transitions of career, meeting, dating, and committed relationships. It's All About You with Dr. Latz will expand your understanding of current concerns across your relationships by broadening and expanding possible solutions in developing skills for mutually desired outcomes. Dr. Martha's expertise is as a licensed marriage and family therapist, life, transition coach, and all things to do with communication at work, home, and with friends. Check out her website at auniquetherapycenter.com. Mike Zorick, a three-time California state champion in Greco-Roman wrestling at 114 pounds. Mike, blind since birth, was born in Hartford, Connecticut. He was a six-time national placer, including two seconds, two-thirds, and two-fourths. He also won the Veterans Folk Style Wrestling twice at 152 pounds. In all these tournaments, he was the only blind competitor. Nancy Zorick, a creative spirit whose talents have taken her to the stage and into galleries and exhibitions in several states. Her father, a commercial artist who shared his instruments with his daughter and helped her fine-tune her natural abilities, influenced her decision to follow in his footsteps. Ms. Zorick has enjoyed a fruitful career doing what she loves. Listen Saturday mornings at 12 Eastern for The Nancy and Mike Show for heartwarming stories and interesting talk on the BBM Global Network. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Richard and Claire Knowles of NagelKnowlesAndAssociates.com, your workplace violence prevention experts. You're listening to us live on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. In all of our years of experience, we have proven that partner-centered leadership is the very best way to lead. It takes a shift in mindset, like throwing off that wet blanket and traditional top-down management that keeps everyone covered up and in the dark. Instead, we let the light and the air come in, freeing everyone to become the best they can be together and for the business to grow and to prosper. Today, I shared a lot of material. We talked about right thinking, the right focus, the complexity tools, the right processes, and the right reasons and purpose for leading this way. I talked about why it works and why it looks, what it looks like and the things that leaders need to do to help the people and the businesses to become the best they can be. Stories like Becky's work with the radio show hosts and their plant visit, and Donnie's judgment and courage to decide to shut the plant down in the severe electrical storm so that we would not have a fire or a chemical release in the event of a lightning strike. These stories illustrate the powerful decisions people can and will make to help us stay in the bowl and to help us to become the best we can be. Becky and Donnie understood the bowl and they stayed in it and they knew I would support them. They had the courage to step forward and make a positive difference. I talked about the complexity tools like the process enneagram to have better focused conversations and the bowl to hold the things together and provide the freedom for people to make good decisions. I talked about using the sustainability ratios to help make better long-term decisions. While we shared a lot of information about the processes of partner-centered leadership, things are really quite simple. Organizations change one conversation at a time. We treat everyone with respect 
We get clear and aligned on our vision, mission, and principles and standards. We build the bowl. We go into our organizations to have focused, meaningful conversations every day. We help each other. We all grow and learn together. This was all built on a foundation of trust and respect. This is an amazing way to lead. And so what are some of the results, Richard, that you achieved as you worked together doing partner-centered leadership that you are especially proud of? Together, we did some terrific things. Bullying and harassment stopped. The risk of workplace violence went way down. People opened up, sharing information, and learned together. We all looked out for each other, becoming our brothers and sisters keepers. High-performance teams formed all over the plant. Injury rates dropped by about 97%. Emissions to the air, water, and land dropped by about 96%. Productivity rose about 45%, and earnings went up about 300%. The processes of partner-centered leadership are sustainable. I found it a lot more fun to lead this way rather than being a a top-down driver as I was before learning how to do this work. Our plant became one of the best performers in the entire industry. We kept the plant from being shut down and saved about 1,300 or 1,200 jobs. Recently, Claire and I had the opportunity to return to the plant and talk with a lot of the people who were in this transformation with us. It was exciting to share the memories and reaffirm the great work we did together. Partner-centered leadership is the best way to lead our organizations into the future. Winning takes leadership. And I'll repeat that. Winning takes leadership. And this show today focused on the importance of partner-centered leadership and how it has a positive impact in improving total performance and reducing the risk of workplace violence. Nagel and Knowles is the gold standard in the field of workplace violence prevention. Leaders can achieve a balance for meeting and exceeding business objectives while developing an environment for nourishing the human spirit and developing the potency of people. That's partner-centered leadership. We are getting the signal that it's time for us to sign off until next week. So until then, you're listening to the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. This is Nagel and Knowles. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Please come on back and we'll talk some more. Thank you. Listen each week for answers to all of your workplace violence concerns here on Nagel & Knowles. If you require help in your workplace setting, contact Nagel & Knowles at 716-622-6467 or log on to nagelknowlesandassociates.com. You've been listening to the BBM Global Network. The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network Company.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.